We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations <laughs> Podcast, Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm joined by Jason Pat. Jason, how was your Thanksgiving, man? Uh, it was all right. I was actually uh, came down with a little cold the last week, so that wasn't the best. But still, it was overall pretty fine. Uh, had some fun Black Wednesday watching the Bulls beat the Suns, so that was exciting. And then I said I got a little sick, but still had a ton of food. Had some good times with the family and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, it was all right. How about yourself? You know, really solid Thanksgiving, mostly because. We do have one good sports team in the city, and that's the Bears. Yeah, I feel yeah, like the true. Bulls and the Blackhawks had to die for <laughs> the Bears to finally rise to the top. I would mention the White Sox, but they're just an abomination, too. It's been so long as a White Sox fan, especially since I've had a good sports team to root for. I feel like the last real moment of happiness I had was that Nate Robb explosion in the fourth quarter against the Nets. After that, it's been all downhill. I guess there was a great Noah game in game seven what of that the, series. The D-Rose bank shot? against D-Rose the- bank shot. You know, the, those were fleeting moments uh, of perfection. But in terms of like an actually good team, I mean, I can't remember the last actually good team I've rooted for. It was probably, you know, the 11 Bulls, the 11-12 Bulls. So it's been a while. The Bears are just a welcome sight right now, man. Maybe this should be a Bears podcast. <laughs> Seriously. Luckily, I did have the Cubs World Series in 2016, so I got you a little old bit there. But, like, yeah, the Bears have been such a such a joke for so long. It's, uh, it is refreshing for them to be playing well. So that definitely did make the Thanksgiving a little better, especially to make up for, like you mentioned, the, the Bulls and the Blackhawks right now. Are, the other winter teams are really, really struggling right now, and – I guess uh, we could talk. So the Bulls did win one game in the last week since we talked last. Like I mentioned, they beat the equally terrible, possibly even more terrible Phoenix Suns on Black Wednesday, and uh, they got a pretty exciting game. They got down a bit, and then they made a nice comeback and kind of dominated the fourth quarter. But then, since that game against the Suns, they are back to uh, three three losses in a row. Let me pull up the schedule and see exactly what they did. I'm I'm almost blanking again. They played a. Uh, the Heat, they lost by seven. They almost came back from a 26-point deficit and almost came back, but petered out at the end. And they went up to Minnesota to play some old friends. D. Rose, Taj Gibson, Tom Thibodeau got the ass beat there because of a terrible fourth quarter. They lost 111-96. And then in the most recent game, they played the Spurs. One-point loss. Really, co- and One of the more enjoyable games, actually, recently. I don't really count that Suns game because those are two just awful teams. But like, the Spurs aren't great, but they're still the Spurs. couple... Couple good players in Aldridge and Demar Derozan, and the Bulls are competitive all game. They they went up like eight or nine points, I think, in the third quarter. It looked like they were actually going to come away with a home win, but then they kind of fell apart down the stretch. And then almost we almost had the Ryan Archidiakono game. We we had the campaign game earlier this year. We almost had the Ryan Archidiakono game. He had two late threes, and then had a big steal, uh, and then missed a, a missed a miracle attempt at at the buzzer to possibly beat the Spurs. Just fall short. But outside of the Ryan Archidiakono stuff, I think the big topic was what happened at the very end of the game with Zach Levine. Levine had a pretty nice night. He had 28 points. I think it was eight assists or eight rebounds, seven assists. He did struggle with the shooting again, 10 of 26 from the field. He had, and he was back and forth in the fourth quarter. At one point, I think he made like four or five straight baskets, and then he missed like three or four in a row. And then on 
what turned out to be the second to last possession, he emphatically waved off Brett Hoiberg, who was calling for Wendell Carter Jr. for a screen. Hoiberg let him go, no timeout, and he chucked and missed a terrible three-pointer. What did you think about that whole thing, the shot selection, the decision for Fred not to call a timeout? How do, how were you, how, how do you take or how that uh, played out? Well, Levine defended himself by saying that he didn't want to draw the double team and that he had been in that situation a lot this whole year and he thought he could hit a shot off the dribble like that. I mean, what's disappointing about it is it's like in NBA basketball in general, when it gets to crunch time, so often it seems like these coaches just draw up the most basic play there is, and that's isolating your superstar uh, with the basketball and trying to let him go one-on-one and pull up for a jumper. Like, at that point, Bulls down one. Levine, like, you can go to the hole and try to draw a foul. We've seen him win the Bulls games like that this season uh, by making the refs, uh, you know, make a call. I think he could have done that. He could have used the pick uh, from Wendell to try to, you know, make a play off the bounce, but... You know, instead, the shot he took, that's just, like, one of the lowest percentage shots in the game. And, you know, it's he finished shooting 38% from the field that night, 10 of 26 for 28 points. Like, we sort of know the book on Levine at this point, that he is a super talented athletic scorer with great scoring instincts. But, you know, I do still sometimes wonder if he is capable of using his offense to make his teammates better. And by waving someone off... Uh, like Wendell in that situation, it just, you know, is more evidence that at times he, he wants it to be Levine versus the world. Now, you know, in this situation that he's in with the Bulls right now, he doesn't have a lot of other help. Uh, I would have liked to see him, you know, run a pick and roll to try to get to or run a pick and pop, ideally. <laughs> have Wendell clear out some space. He tries to get to the rim, maybe draw contact. He's also just so good at, like, shifting in the lane to finish. So that's what I would have liked to see. But uh, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, without question, the decision was terrible. Like, I have no problems with him ultimately taking the shot. He's the guy you want taking the shot. He makes he can make tough shots, but just like it almost it would almost seem like la- it was kind of lazy. Like I don't know, he could could have been tired. Like I said he p- was doing a ton in that fourth quarter as he always does, taking most of the shots down the stretch. But it was just like, and he had it's not like Demar Derozan is some lockdown defender. Like isolated on the top, even if he did wave off, like, whatever, wave that off, totally fine. And I understand Hoiberg not wanting to call a timeout and get the Spurs set up defensively again. Like, I'm, I was totally fine with that as well. It's just the decision to just, like, kind of not even make, like, any move towards the basket. He just kind of, like, was dribbling up there and then just, like, lazy step back. And you could tell – and then he, like, faded away and you could tell it was going to be short. It, just, it seemed just kind of like – it was just kind of a lazy, dumb play. And, I, and as you mentioned, like, I – I'm I'm grappling with like am, am I actually concerned about like this kind of that kind of stuff being like are those actual bad habits forming like him just kind of chucking and not even trying to get anyone else involved I mean he has done some stuff some nice stuff as a playmaker but like obviously we've seen down the stretch he's trying to do it all himself and when there's all these guys hurt when Chris Dunn's hurt when Larry Markkinen's hurt and it's basically only like Jabari or Justin Holiday can't really create for himself down the stretch for himself and Wendell is still kind of raw offensively. Like you do understand the mindset there. Like he, he thinks he's a big time scorer. He's shown ability at times, but like you do worry that when, like when those other guys come back, like is he still going to have that mentality where like he's waving off? Is he going to wave off Lowry Markinen for like, if they have a similar situation, they're trying to run pick and pop. Like, yeah, like, well, him he, and Martin, he, just, nah. you, you just worry about that. Yeah, him and Markin did not have good chemistry throughout last year. Levine would constantly sort of either look off him or, like, settle for the tough shot uh, rather than make the simple play to hit Markin with a pass on so many screen and pops last year. So I worry about that. But at the same time, if you listen to Levine's quotes in the media this year, he knows he needs help. Like, as much as we might think that he's sort of embracing being this gunner in a situation where, you know, he gets all the attention, he gets all the shot attempts, he gets to play Kobe, basically. uh, You can't win surrounded by Smush Parker and Chris Mitt. And I think just at this point, he's going to have to embrace the help when they come back. Uh, Maybe that's a silver lining of... Uh, you know, the way this season has unfolded to start the year, because I do think we'll see Levine play a more deferential, a more team-first game, especially when marketing comes back. And, uh, you know, that can only be a week or two away, so that will finally give us something to watch, uh, just from the perspective of being Bulls fans. But until then, man, this has just been... It's been rough. I mean, they competed hard against the Spurs. There was nothing too egregious about that game. I thought the way Archie Diakono played was terrific. Uh... 
I didn't even think the Bulls should pick up his option, really, coming into this season. I wasn't really sure if he was worth a guaranteed contract, but he's shoving that opinion right in my face right now. He's been, you know, one of their better players by the advanced metrics. You can just tell the team plays with much more of a defensive edge with him in the game. I'll tell you, I was at that uh, Suns game. There was a moment early in that Suns game uh, where Archie Diakono dove into the stands to try to save a ball, landed on like three fans. Everyone freaks out. That's like the most classic Chicago grinder moment you can possibly have. I feel like he's just endeared himself to the city forever, just with that one move. Yeah, I mean, Don't I mean that, the Spurs. Yeah. The play, the la- that last play where he breaks in, I think it was Aldridge, I think he broke in on, and that inbounds pass, breaks in, like knocks the ball away, and then like basically like is like falling to the floor and throws up a jumper and is like and like diving to the floor as he's putting that shot up and like the la- comes up just short and like just the shot is just of him like laying on the ground sprawled out like just that classic classic stuff and he had other like other other hustle plays yesterday as well I think he had a steal I think that was I can't remember exactly but I feel like he had a steal where he came and like picked a pocket and got a layup and he had some other crazy ass baskets like driving he throws up some funky shit at the rim sometimes that somehow goes and like I'm not really sure how he's how he's pulling it off because we like we've talked about this before just like last year when he was on the team getting some minutes just the jokes were had like this guy's not an NBA player like the Bulls are tanking like this guy's just your grinder grittier grittier McGrittyson dude out here who's basically just tr- fighting to stay in the league and now this year like he's shooting like 44, 45% from three after putting up career high 22 and he had four of six from three yesterday. Like, and he's just doing really all you could ask for, for a backup point guard. I mean, he's starting now, but like he's just, he plays smart. He shoots well. He tries hard. He does all the gritty stuff. Like, I don't know if he's actually like a back, a legit backup on like an actual good team, but like he's definitely proven that he could be a backup on a, a bad team. Like he's, I'd be totally fine with him. Like rest of the season when, Chris Sun comes back. Like Archie Diakono is obviously your backup point guard because Cameron Payne is fucking terrible, and Shaq Harrison, while a good defender, can't make anything offensively. So like Archie's just a solid dude, solid grinder, gr- gritty guy. Definitely a guy. The guy, the the blue coll- classic blue collar Chicago guy, as you said. And I mean, he does have more talent than we're giving him credit for. Like he people does. might just think Ryan Archie Diakono just popped up. Out of nowhere, and he's just some random white guy who's the you know illegitimate son of Kirk Heinrich. But this dude was a four-year starter every single game for Villanova from 2012 to 2016. He made the pass to Chris Jenkins uh, on the game-winning shot for Villanova to beat North Carolina in that national championship game. You don't start for Jay Wright for four years unless you're a really damn good basketball player. And Archie Diakono is. But the thing with Archie Diakono is that he just has physical limitations, yeah. right? To say he's not the biggest and not the fastest would be a gross understatement. What he can do is play. He just knows how to play basketball. I think he has a high feel for the game. He's within himself. He's a really good jump shooter, which wasn't always the case in college. He's hitting 44% of his threes this year on four attempts per game. Uh, You know, he's obviously a willing facilitator. I don't think he has, like, amazing vision, but... Uh, you know, he wants to, he wants to pass. He wants to set up his teammates. He's only going to shoot when he either has a wide open layup or a three. And the dude just knows how to play basketball, which is something that you can't say about, you know, a lot of these guys. When you watch Felicio running fucking circles when he's out there making 8 million a year campaign dribble for, you know, 14 seconds on the shot clock crossovers between his legs before he just throws up bricks as he did in one possession against the Spurs. So, That wasn't even a brick. He missed – that was what he – yeah, he, like, isolated on the wing. I can't – I think it was maybe Dante Cunningham. I can't remember who was defending it, but he dribbled for a good 10 seconds, stepped back, and probably shot it two feet over the rim. It was probably one of the worst shots I've seen all year. It was just so bad. And I'm pretty sure he got yanked after that. He was, like, a minus 14 in, like, eight or nine minutes. Like, the, the bench lost the game because the Bulls just – they don't have – obviously, with so many guys hurt, that their depth is a shot, and – when you have, they were running out lineups yesterday of like uh, against the Spurs with like Shaq Harrison, Campaign, Chandler Hutchinson, like Rolo, and like Justin Holiday. I think was I think Stefano pointed out one of the, I think it was him tweeted about that lineup. It's like how is that group supposed to do anything? Like that it's just hot, hot trash. Yeah, so every much, right? starter for the Bulls yesterday against the Spurs was positives and plus minus. And then you look at the bench, campaign minus 14 in nine minutes. Robin Lopez minus 13 in 24 minutes. Uh, 
Blakeney was minus six in three minutes. Shaq Harrison was minus seven. So everyone on the bench was in the red, and all the starters were in the positives. Uh, and that was on a night where the threes were falling. I mean, we saw Justin Holiday continues to have a career year. He's a really solid three and D guy, and I think that he could help a lot of playoff teams. Oh yeah, ninth man in the rotation, maybe, and maybe playoff rotations only have eight guys. So is Justin Holiday really seeing the court? But like the Sixers could really use someone like Justin Holiday just for wing depth this year. You know, he hit five threes against the Spurs, chipped in seventeen points, also had four assists. I like the Holiday family in general. There's three brothers in the NBA. Drew, of course, the most famous for the Pelicans. They also have Aaron Holiday, who was a first-rounder this year out of UCLA playing for the Pacers. Uh, and then there's Justin, who's the most anonymous because he wasn't a first-round pick. 29 years old now, though, and he's made himself a pretty damn good player. He's taking almost eight threes a game this year, hitting 41.5%. He's hitting 94% from the foul line, though he barely ever attempts a free throw. He's really just a catch-and-shoot Yeah, guy. he doesn't do anything off the dribble. It's basically a disaster. Yeah. What's crazy about him, we we could talk a bit more about uh, possible trade scenarios there, is he, the last couple of years, has had insane home road splits. Last year, it was something like he shot like 41 or 42% from three at the UC, and it was like 30, 30 or 31% on the road. And now we're looking at this year, He's his he's currently got a like a 50 46 1000 or 100 line for his slash line. He's 46% at home and then on the road he's shooting 35% overall. He's 36% from 3, which is still on almost 9 attempts. Like that's still pretty good. But he's got these crazy home road splits going on right now. So I don't I don't know if he just loves playing shooting at the United Center or what, but just he's clearly been really comfortable and just has been a really solid just yeah, like you mentioned, three and D guy. Like I, I don't know if he's really that good defensively, but I feel like at least the efforts there in general, yeah, and just the and just the way he's shooting has been fantastic. So you do wonder, like this is this, he's on a cheap deal. Uh, I think it's like four million or something like that. Like he's twenty nine. Yeah. Like I mean, is this a guy where like this is probably somewhere like you don't really want to pay him a lot, probably long term. He's like you don't really know how long this is gonna stick. So like I feel like a trade would probably make a lot of sense this year. Was the Bulls probably are, are not competing. Like, if the Bulls were actually, like, surprise, like, playoff contender this year, like, I feel like he's a guy you probably keep around for something like that. But, like, with the Bulls going in the tank early this season, like, I feel like a trade makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the Sixers. Uh, I was talking with somebody about maybe working a trade that has Holiday and maybe something else for Fultz. We've talked about the Fultz, so we won't get into that because that's a goddamn mess. But I feel like you look at a lot of teams. You mentioned Drew Holiday. Like, the Pelicans are – Absolutely terrible. He have the worst wing depth in the league. They could use him. The Warriors could use him. He used to play for the Warriors. The Warriors have, like, no shooting outside of their top three guys. Their bench is, like, Livingston, Iguodala. They, they're, they're starting to get washed, and they can't shoot. They did have Alfonso McKinney, Chicago guy, but he's been hurt lately. I don't know how much they want to rely on him. Like, they can absolutely use him as, like, their eighth or ninth man as a shooter off the bench. Uh, the Rockets, the, uh, the Athletic End article today about the Rockets, they're looking for wing depth. Justin Holiday was specifically mentioned. I don't think it was in terms of like they've inquired, but in terms of a team they'd be interested. The Rockets have been are nine and ten in a lot of trouble. They could use the Carmelo thing didn't work out. They signed Michael Carter Williams for whatever for God fucking reason. I have no idea why they signed him. Like he's a he's off on the wing. He doesn't play. Like they could definitely use another wing to help there. He 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 might even be able to start on that team because James Ennis isn't that good either. So like. Justin Holiday could definitely slide in there as a spot starter or a guy off the bench to shoot to just chuck threes because obviously the Rockets love chucking threes. So like you go down the line, like Justin Holiday could be useful almost anywhere with a bunch of these contenders. I totally agree. And if I'm the Bulls, I would trade him even for a late second round pick. Yeah, I would. I would probably. I mean, I don't think you're gonna get a first. Like unless there's like some crazy bidding war with all these teams. Like a first is probably out of the question. But definitely, definitely should be able to get a second. Maybe you get two of them if. These yeah. teams are are bidding against each other because they. I feel like they should be. I feel like he, he should be one of the more available wings out there, and he's cheap. So, like, get a second rounder or two, and maybe that turns into something. Because the Bulls have sold so many second rounders over the years. <laughs> I know they don't have another one in this draft either, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I Let's, let's I have think, a look. I don't think they do. Uh, and while you look that up, you know, if you want to talk about other positives for the Bulls, I think we should give Jabari a shout-out. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been so hard on Jabari. And even, like, after I rewatched that the Heat game, I was doing a little drinking, and I was 
kind of calling him out. It's like all like <laughs> misleading stats. Like he did a lot of garbage time, which he absolutely did. But against the Suns, flirted with the triple double. Sure, it's the Suns, but you flirt with a triple double and a win. That's a good performance. The Heat game, he started terribly. I think he was like one for nine, one for ten, and then he and then he turned things around. He he did some really nice stuff at the beginning of the fourth quarter. He did score like eight points in garbage time, so his stats were a little inflated. And I was just doing my usual bullshit on Twitter. I was going after him when I was tricking a little bit, and then but then after that, in the T Wolves game, he had another nice game. Him and him and Levine both had nice games against the T Wolves. The problem there was just nobody else did anything, and that T Wolves game. The three Bulls point guards, while we did give Arch some love for his for his Spurs performance against the T-Wolves, goose egg from him, goose egg from campaign, goose egg from Shaq Harris, and literally the point guard scored zero points, so that killed it. And then against the Spurs yesterday as well, Jabari, I think, had like 18 and 10, I think, or something like that. I think it was another double-double. So, like, he's been doing better on offense. He's moving around a bit better. Like, I just don't know if it was... He just needed a quarter of the season to play himself in shape. I don't know if he just finally figured out, like, maybe he saw those RPM stats where he was dead last, and he's like, okay, this, well, this is fucking embarrassing. Obviously, that probably wasn't it, but, like, it's just kind of funny, like, at, right after those came out, he started playing a lot better. But I don't know. He definitely does deserve a bit a bit of credit for, at least, he's been a lot more efficient lately. The defense is going to be, it is what it is, I feel like, on that end. But at least in terms of the offense, if he's at least scoring efficiently, if he's being a playmaker, pushing the ball a bit, like at least he's going to have some value doing that instead of just chucking up bricks all the time and turning the ball over like crazy. The last six games, he's averaging 20.2 points per game, nine rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.3 steals, only 2.8 turnovers. In 35 minutes a game, he's shooting 49% from the field and 38.5% from three. So... Uh, when Jabari is playing with that type of offensive efficiency, I think that we we have to be fair and balanced yeah. in our assertions about the Bulls. And to that extent, Jabari does deserve some credit. Now, if you want the real talk, is he actually helping the Bulls in any of those minutes? Like, even though he's scoring efficiently, it's still like he's giving back more than he's putting yeah. up. I mean, I think some of these games, he's like, like I think like yesterday, he he did have one really bad play against the Spurs. Or just like a guy drove right around him for a layup. And like the Suns game, he was legitimately great. Again, it's the Suns, but he was really good. I feel like the Spurs game, for the most part, he was fine. And he was like, we mentioned all the starters were plus minus. So like he was fine there as well. And I feel like the, the Wolves game, I guess in the Wolves game, he did really nothing in the fourth quarter. For like three quarters, he was legitimately good. So like, yeah, I mean, if anything, like he's been probably like a slight positive in these last couple games overall. Like he's gonna have he's going to have his issues with the defense, as you mentioned. Like he's gonna have the gaps. They happen every game, but like you'll at least live with it. Like it was like before when it was bad offensively and the terrible defensive gaps. Like that just made for a completely unwatchable product. If he's at least getting buckets, do making some nice passes, like you can live with the gaps here and there. It's not worth a $20 million player. He's he's absolutely never going to live up to that unless he somehow keeps, I guess, this efficiency all year and maybe he's a little better defensively. That would be a huge surprise. But, like, it's at least a more watchable Jabari Parker if he's going to be scoring like this. Yeah, and the Bulls need that because I think part of the reason they signed Jabari was because of, like, you know, marketing reasons, because they thought he would help them sell tickets. Yeah. I was at the UC on Wednesday against the Suns. And on Friday against the Heat, and that building, it wasn't totally dead, but it doesn't have the same, you know, capacity that it even had last year. Tickets are much cheaper, much easier to get on the secondary market. And all of the biggest cheers are for just non-basketball stuff. When I was there against Phoenix, it was 90s night. Coolio did the halftime show. That's right, I saw that. People are fucking loving Coolio, doing Gangster's Paradise. Uh, that was truly a sight to behold. He had like the one like strand of hair coming out of his head. It was kind of perfect. He was wearing a number one Coolio jersey. I kind of wanted Bulls fans to comment on the Instagram with a Ooh, bunch of yeah. those emojis and say that Coolio shouldn't be able to wear D-Rose's number. That, was, really Michael Carter Williams. that was Michael Carter Williams, right? Who was going to yeah. wear number one and then it everyone yelled at him. It happened twice. <laughs> Jesus. So like D-Rose's number... You know, it might not be retired, but it's effectively retired if they can't give it away. Like, I wonder if Zion wanted to wear number one if the Bulls drafted him next year. Oh, man. Zion is wearing number one for Duke this year. Like, would people get mad about that? Would the Bulls let him have number one? How would that work out? 
I'd be people probably would get mad. Even just like I don't know, just like D Rose is just so loved by so many Bulls fans that like I mean it's just a number. Like I, I they might as well almost retire. I feel like that was a conversation in the offseason, like yeah, will D Rose get his number retired? Like I honestly am maybe at some point I honestly have no idea, but yeah, that that would be the, the real answer is who cares? They yeah. should just do it because every time they give it like it yeah. just means something, something to the fans yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> but you know, Coolio did wear D Rose's number. So Coolio kind of rude as far as I'm concerned. And then there was also a live Mario Kart for 90s night oh. where they had people dressed up as uh Mario, Luigi and Princess Peach riding tricycles doing like a lap. That's and then crazy. a guy dressed up as Bowser came out and threw big plush green shells at him. <laughs> it was sort of awesome. People were going crazy for it. Also, obviously, the Dunkin' Donuts race. Those were the biggest cheers of the game. Even in a game where the Bulls won, Levine was pretty terrific down the stretch of that game. Jabari had a good game. Uh, those were the only times the fans really got into it. Also, Archie Diakono diving into the sands, which I mentioned earlier. And then the game against the Heat, you know what got the biggest reception? Portillo's, right? Well, Portillo's is the new oh. is the new jam now, yeah. And that did happen against the Heat. Someone yeah. missed two free throws. I did not get my free hot dog. I don't know why. I definitely should have gone to do that. Uh, it would have been a great hangover cure, for one. So I should have just, you know, sucked it up and went to get it. But uh, the biggest cheer of the game that night was when Khalil Mack got that, showed right. on the Jumbotron. That's right. People were losing their shit. Khalil Mack. That's what a superstar looks like. The United Center hasn't had one in a while since they traded Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Well, whatever. Uh, I guess back to we were talking about that trade, uh, the second round draft picks. The Bulls love giving them away. It looks like uh, they have their 2019 second round pick is going to the Sixers. Uh, the, the Bulls actually have two second-round picks coming in, so right now it looks like they're actually on the positive side of the ledger with actually getting second-round picks. So that's so that's great. But yeah, maybe they can get a few more, or maybe they can just trade. They could trade Holiday to the Sixers and get that second-round pick back. I don't know. Even though that'll probably that'll be a pretty bad. Actually, it's via the Lakers. It looks like second-round pick to Philadelphia via LA. I'm not really sure. Whatever this was from, this might have been from. Oh, I think it was from. Uh, maybe possibly Jose Calderon trade originally. I'm not even sure, but yeah, Bulls have their 2019 second rounder to Philadelphia. So if they want to trade Justin Holiday to the Sixers, they can just get that second round pick right back. Yeah, and then re-sign Justin Holiday in the yeah. offseason. He's going to be a free agent. They could use you know just a wing around you know Zion. Zion's Bulls are going to need shooters, so. You know, get Justin Holiday back on another team-friendly deal. I feel like Justin Holiday's just a good locker room guy, too. He's just a good guy. Did you actually, about him, like, I didn't realize that. He set some kind of Bulls record yesterday, I think, for, I think it was for most games in a row with a three-pointer. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think he was, like, Heinrich's record for, it was, like, 30-some straight games to hit a three-pointer. Let's see if I can... See, Bulls, he joined the record book twice. Let's see, the record is he set a Bulls record by hitting a three pointer in 32 straight games, breaking Kirk Heinrichick of 31 set in 2004. So, Justin Holiday breaking records. That this, so this includes the end of last year as well. He also tied a Bulls record by hitting by hitting three or going over three three pointers again, six straight game, and that ties Craig Hodges and Lowry Markinen. Which I feel like should be a nice little segue into us talking about Lowry coming back, which he is on the verge. Um, he went through a full practice earlier this week, and it seems like he's fe- feeling pretty good. He said he, he's really excited to get back. He's feeling his elbows felt pretty good. Uh, it sounds like he hasn't lost too much of all that all that uh, muscle he put on. I think he put on like 16, 17 pounds. I saw Casey Johnson tweet that he only lost a couple of that. Uh, so that's that's a good sign. Uh, he'll obviously need a bit more time of practice. They don't. They're not. He's not going to return to practice and then just and then just be thrown out there. But it sounds like probably in the next week. I know they've talked about uh, possibly next week against the Pacers to close out their four game road trip. I would. I would think just maybe do it in the. I think they play the Thunder next Friday at home. I think I would probably just prefer to do that. Have them come back at, at a home game at the UC to the cheering applause and all that stuff. So, I guess, how excited are you for Lowry to finally finally get back in action? 
I'm excited because it'll just give us another reason to watch the Bulls, right? Like, watching some of these games is already being such a drag. I mean, this beginning of the year is very much reminding me of, like, the end of last year when there was just nothing to play for. It just seemed like the Bulls were playing out the string after they made the Miritich trade. Uh, or really, even the beginning of last season, because yeah, they're out. Three three and and was out. They started three and twenty. Uh, so you know now the Bulls are what five and sixteen. Five so and hey, they're better than three and twenty. I guess that's a cause for celebration. Even though right now I think they'd only have what the fourth pick. Uh, I think they are tied for third now. Was it the Heat or the Hawks beat the Heat uh, tonight? So I think they're tied now. So I think I think they're tied yeah. for third with the Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Cleveland and Phoenix both have one less win than the Bulls, and then it's the Bulls, and the Bulls are riding. A hot three-game losing streak. The longest losing streak of anyone in the top six. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm i excited for marketing to come back. I don't think they should, like, totally rush him back no. in terms of, uh, you know, how much of a burden they're putting on him offensively. Like, the thing about marketing is he can be effective even just standing there because his shooting ability is going to generate right. so much attention. Uh, that is going to help open things up for Levine. It's going to help open things up uh, for anyone else who wants to drive. So I think that in terms of, like, how many shot attempts is marketing going to get, if you would have told me that, you know, everyone's healthy at the beginning of this season, I would have wanted marketing to lead the team in shot attempts, which I didn't think was going to happen uh, with Jabari and with Levine also entrenched. But now with Levine coming back in the middle of the year, you would think he's going to get a ton of chances. I'll be interested to see how often Fred is playing him with Carter, how often Fred is playing him with Lopez, because Markin and Lopez kind of had a good thing going together last year. I feel like Lopez really helped Markin out on his defensive rebounding, which was a knock on Markin's game coming into the season. He ended up acquitting himself pretty well there. And, you know, Carter, for as good as he is, the Bulls are a terrible rebounding team this oh, year. Oh, yeah, they're toward the this, but. Yeah. Uh, last year, they finished 17th overall in defensive, or just in normal rebound percentage. This year, they're 28th. The Bulls are dead last in offensive rebound rate and 23rd in defensive rebound rate. Last year, they were 22nd in uh, offense, and uh, they led the league in defensive rebound rate, which is pretty crazy to finish 17 overall. This year, they're just a horrible rebounding team, which is part of the reason they've been getting pounded. So I kind of want to see, you know, of course you want to see Carter and Markinen together, but... I think with marketing coming off the injury, it might be best to play him with Lopez. Uh, yeah, that, was, that was what I was going to ask next. Like, what is the lineup going to be like? Are they going to put? Are they going to bring him off the bench and have him on a minutes limit to start? Are they going to put him back in, at this at the four? And then are they going to bench Jabari or they move Jabari to the three? Which it seems like they didn't really want to do. But since Jabari is playing better, do they want to take him out of the lineup? Like, what what would you go with there? Well, I think that you have to start him just because he's Larry Markkinen. He's like one of the few shining lights in this dark, depressing franchise <laughs> of the Chicago Bulls. So, yeah, start him next to Carter. Who cares? But in terms of, like, how you're going to run the substitution patterns, because you do want to see Carter and Markkinen just play together, get familiar with yeah. each other, see how they kind of work off each other. Uh, but at least, you know, as Markkinen's coming back for the first couple weeks – I would like to see him have substantial time with Lopez just because I think Lopez will help him out on the glass. Uh, Lopez is so selfless in terms of like boxing guys out, which was a great stuff in no article last year. Uh, he just does a lot of little things that helps the team. And especially when the Bulls as a team are rebounding at such a poor rate, I think that, you know, that would help. But I, I do want to see some Carter marketing minutes and with Levine. I mean, you got to see those three guys on the court together because. You know, for as poor as the rebuild feels midway through year two, those are going to be three cornerstone guys who are going to be around for the foreseeable future. Even Levine, you you hear the way he talks about Carter. Uh, you know, when Carter was speaking up, Levine was like, you know, Wendell's opinion counts as much as anyone else's. He's going to be here for a long time. It's like, I really liked hearing that from Levine because he wasn't doing any, like, bullshit rookie hazing or, like, not respecting Carter because he's sort of like, you know the shiny new toy and Levine's the veteran, but uh, you, you want, you got to see all those guys together. So I think that, you know, that's going to be something that's going to give us a reason to watch. And that's the best part about it. Yeah. I mean, as, like you said, you, as bad as it feels like it almost like, I mean, so far, like doesn't really matter because we haven't seen these guys together. Like 
like, I know I don't want to be like, I don't want to say like, oh, we just can't judge it at all. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I know it's might be kind of a cop out to say that, but like, it's hard to judge how the rebuild is actually going when like one of the supposed cornerstones hasn't played at all. And then one of the, and then the point guard hasn't played and all the point guard played just has been so hit or miss. If Archie Jocker hasn't played well, like it's been, it's been awful. So like, it really has been kind of hard to judge so far when these guys have missed so much time and the product they're putting on the floor just is not, is not good. So like these are, these are going to be important minutes. Like you mentioned, we need to see how those three guys play together. And then when Chris Dunn comes back in the next couple weeks as well, like he'll get thrown in the mix, hopefully. And hopefully these guys can stay healthy and we can get, even if this is another lost season, which is honestly fine if it gets them a high draft pick, but like, we need to see these guys play together and hopefully at least show positive development. I said it at the beginning of the year. Like I, I know some people were super optimistic thinking playoffs. I never thought that way because they're just, they're young, still flawed defensively. But like, as long as the, the young guys played together and they showed positive development, and actual positive step forward, hopefully by, and hopefully playing well by the end of the year, even if they still had a bad record overall, I thought that would be a positive year. Like right now, so far we have seen none of that because of these injuries. So if we see, that them kind of meshing well, and if even if they lose out of the games, but if they're playing well towards the end of the year, like I feel like that'd be a success. So I'm hoping that we see that. That would be the ideal scenario. The Bulls' young guys actually being able to log substantial minutes together in the second half of this season, yet still not putting themselves in position to get like the seventh or eighth pick. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, <laughs> like I would say, like right now, like with their schedule coming up, like lose all these games on this road trip. They got a tough road trip coming up. Lose all of them, like. When Lowry comes back, if he comes back next home game, like they're like five and twenty. Like if they're in another huge hole, like I don't even if they come back and play well, like last year's like win streak, the seven game win streak was like such an enormous fluke, and they had a bunch of those goofy ass wins against other tanking teams. I don't know if there's gonna be that many tanking teams this year in the East. There might be, but in the West, it seems the like the whole West is good. Besides, it's the pretty Suns. competitive. Besides the Suns, the Bulls already played them once, so like. Hopefully, if there aren't as many tanking teams, if the Bulls get in a really deep hole because of these injuries, that way that even if they do play well and they win some games later, then the record will still suck. Like, I feel like that could be, like, best-case scenario at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, totally. But you look at the East. The Cavs just keep Zion away from the Cavs. That would be a fucking atrocity, wouldn't it, for yeah. the Cavs to get the first pick again? Please give the Cavs deserve to get the lowest pick they can possibly get. If they end up with the worst record, that's the fifth pick this year instead of the fourth pick. Keep all of these nice young men at the top of the draft away from Cleveland, please. We'll get they can have someone, I guess, but give them Romeo Langford. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna say Romeo Langford. This was I was just watching Duke, Indiana. Yeah, and then Hawks like Hawks are bad, but. They're decently well coached, I think, and they like sort of try hard. So I would expect them and the Bulls, like the Bulls, will be a little better than the Hawks, uh, and they'll be probably better than Cleveland and Phoenix. But that's maybe about it. The Knicks, Fizdale's a good coach. They seem to have you know some more intriguing young pieces. Emmanuel Boudier uh, has been actually doing Boudier's balling. And we'll see. I would guess. I would guess Porzingis will not be back this He's year. Not. Yeah. Even if he does, like he probably we saw Levine last year was terrible off his ACL. I there's no reason for him to come back. And yeah, I mean, I feel like the Knicks will probably be in a similar spot as the Bulls. Like I still am somewhat positive enough about the Bulls' young players where I think that they will be better than some of these bottom feeders. But I don't think if they do get in this big enough hole, like I don't think they'll be that good enough where they'll really dig themselves out. So maybe they're looking at like what like five or six. Maybe something like that. Maybe they get lucky. So, like, I guess, like I said, I feel like that's what we would probably have to hope for. Yeah. Um, uh, which could be okay. I mean, yeah. you know, just if they could just get a pick in the top four, that would be so huge. But, yeah, there's just not going to be a lot of easy wins on the schedule because everyone in the West is going to be tough. You'd think Miami probably turns it around. Washington is already starting to turn it around. Brooklyn, I think, is just – a team that's going to play harder than the Bulls and be better than the Bulls. So, you know, we'll see. They're, they're putting themselves right in that mix of being, you know, just outside the elite cut of talent. Yeah, so I guess before we move on to – you were talking about the draft now a bit, your mock draft. I do want to, do you want to get you on the record that I mentioned this before. If you want to start Lowry, so would you start Holiday or Parker at the three? 
Definitely Holiday. I mean, okay. that, that's, what, that's what I would think as well. Move Jabari back to that yeah. like six man, whatever point forward type off the bench that they were doing earlier. I agree with that. If that makes sense. Holiday's just been so good as a shooter, floor spacer. Maybe they trade Holiday and they end up with Jabari. Like I just, Justin Holiday showcase month. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, okay, I agree with that. Now, as I mentioned, as we've been talking draft, you just recently released a mock draft. Yeah. So I will turn the table or turn the floor over to you to talk about that a bit. Yeah, so mock draft dropped it today. This was the first mock draft I've done since the one I did the day after the 2018 draft, which I do every year. That's something I've done since the, I think it was since the uh, the 15 draft. That was the first time I did one uh, the day after. And, you know, most of the names are about the same, but, you know, the hierarchy started to change a little bit. Like I had Zion 5 in that initial June projection. Screwed that one up. I feel like, no one's catching Zion for the number one pick. Even with all the hype that R.J. Barrett had coming into the season, he's just been sort of an inefficient scorer. Well, yeah, I feel like he's been, like, I, I know after that Gonzaga game, like, there was obviously a lot of hate. I mean, he's put it, putting up huge numbers, but just the inefficiency, the, the tunnel vision. I watched a good chunk of that game, and just, like, it was just, like, like four or five straight possessions down the stretch where he just drove into a big man and basically got a shot block while Zion stood around the perimeter doing nothing. I was just like, what are you doing, guys? Like, pass the ball. It seems like just overall, like, he's obviously super young, super talented. His slashing is ridiculous. His ability to finish is often just ridiculous. But, like, it seems like he does not trust his jumper much yet and just has a bit of tunnel vision, a bit of, a bit of Kobe in him, I guess you could say. It's really weird having the top three picks in the draft all on one college team. Cam <laughs> yeah, Ruddish has no-showed the last couple of games. He did nothing tonight against Indiana. He did nothing against Gonzaga in the final at the Maui. He's someone who's having to adjust to play off the ball for the first time in his life. He was a high school point guard. You would think he'd have the best role player potential of those guys because he's easily the best shooter. He's shooting like almost 45% from three, I think, after the Indiana game. I think he's only missed a couple of free throws, too, on the season. He's shooting over 90% from the line. Reddish is really talented, but he's had some just straight-up bummer of a game. It feels like Coach K doesn't like him. Meanwhile, you got Zion barely even touching the ball in crunch time in some of these games because everything's going through Barrett. You mentioned Kobe. That is a big problem, I think, with a lot of young players, and it goes back to, like, Andrew Wiggins. I thought it went to Jalen Brown back when he was at Cal, too. It's like... These guys who are blessed with so much ability from such a young age, they get it drilled into their head early that, like, they're the alpha dog, they're the next star, they're the next Kobe, Mamba mentality, when really the guy they should be patterning their game after is Kawhi. Like, when you have that type of physical ability like Wiggins uh, or like Barrett, those dudes should really dedicate themselves to – just playing within themselves and being defensive first guys. But we're just so far away from that happening because the Mamba mentality still permeates through the game today. I really think that's the case with Barrett. Now I'm pretty critical of Barrett. I had Barrett third in this mock, whatever team gets RJ Barrett is still going to get a really good player. I do believe that. I still, how young These guys are. <laughs> yeah. He's 18 years old. He, he is a good prospect, even though right now he is almost hurting Duke in a lot of ways because he's playing so much hero ball, uh, for lack of a better word. But I do think Barrett is a good prospect. To me, I don't see what makes Barrett extra special. It's like he doesn't have the pull-up shooting ability, which is going to be a major hindrance. Even if he gets it, he's not going to be like an incredible pull-up shooter. Uh, going to the lane, slashing, he is very good, but he doesn't have like that extra burst of explosiveness to me he reminds me of like a less athletic DeMar DeRozan which doesn't sound very exciting he might end up being a better player but uh that is just sort of how he's playing right now and you know if you just look at his size his athleticism I mean DeRozan was one of the very top athletes in the league he was a dunk contest worthy athlete where I just don't see Barrett having that explosion uh so to me it's all about Zion he's the clear number one pick we mention on this podcast all the time. People are probably sick of listening to it. Uh, I had the Bulls getting Nazir Little from North Carolina with the fourth pick. If you want to know more about Nazir Little, he was someone who really burst onto the scene in the All-Star game uh, portion of the high school calendar. He was MVP of the McDonald's All-American game. He showed out at the Nike Hoop Summit as well. I think he was at the Jordan Brand Classic, uh, putting up numbers too. So 
he's someone who like Jalen Brown is kind of an interesting count for him because he just has like the ball of clay sort of physicality that you want from a modern NBA player. Six foot six or six seven, wingspan at seven one or seven two. He has really compact, sound shooting mechanics. Uh, and he plays hard every possession. I mean, he's basically trying to make the transition right now from like an energy guy to a legitimate star. But the thing is that the game is so much more about skill these days and his skill just isn't all the way there yet. Uh, I do kind of think he's going to be a good three point shooter because he just seems very like calm and poised with like a quick repeatable motion when he shoots. So I like his catch and shoot ability. He just has no creativity as a driver yet. Uh, he's a very rudimentary ball handler, but you know he's someone who, you know, people. Some people will make the pie in the sky comparison to Kawhi Leonard with Nazir Little, which, you know, yes, there could be some similarities in their frame. There could be some similarities in that you know Leonard was far from a finished product when he was at San Diego State, uh, but you know Kawhi Leonard really hit what like. 105% of his potential by just like working and making himself the best damn defender he could possibly be letting the offense, uh, you know, letting his offense develop within him slowly. So I really don't want to see Bulls fans being like, little's the next Kawhi. Cause like, yeah. we don't, don't know what happened, but I would take little, if I was the Bulls, I would take him after all the Duke guys. I think it's possible. He could pass Barrett. It's possible. He could pass Reddish. I mean, Reddish has been playing horribly. Barrett is just inefficient, and I don't think there's anything special about him. Uh, Little does have that physical, like the strength and the length, which is really good, and he plays hard, which is really good. Uh, I just don't know if he has the skill level yet, but maybe that skill level develops. If you're telling me the Bulls walk away with Nazir Little, I'd be really happy with that. To me, that would just be like another solid piece for the rebound or for the, for the rebuild at a position of need. But in my opinion, what the Bulls really need is a superstar. They need someone who's going to make Zach Levine the secondary initiator, the second offensive option. Uh, and I think Zion's the only guy in this draft to do that. I don't think this is that good of a draft. I don't think it's as good as last year. I was, I was going to ask. So, like, looking past, like, the Duke guys and, like, Nazir Little, I feel like we've talked about them a lot. It's, like, a clear top four. Like, is there anybody past them, like, who you think would be a good fit, who possibly, like, dark horse superstar potential, like, Give, yeah, give us some, like other names, like maybe who would be like six, seven, eight, or something like that. Yeah, Kevin Porter Jr. is the guy who I really like, who's a wing from USC. Still haven't seen a ton of him. The thing is, he's really flashy. He's from Seattle, and he just like channels the spirit of all those Jamal Seattle Crawford. ballers, like Jamal Crawford, like Zach Levine, like Nate Robinson, like Isaiah Thomas. He's so good at creating separation off the dribble. He's just a player like made for a highlight reel mixtape. This dude gets buckets. Uh, in his sleep, basically. I mean, he's got step back jumpers, which really the step back has become one of the most important moves in today's NBA with everyone like guarding the three point line so ferociously. He has the step back in the mix already, so that's really good. He's had some acrobatic finishes. He'll hit you with the uh, the hezy crossover, as Kevin Durant once said about Markel Fultz. He's got a lot of pull-up jumpers, so I like Kevin Porter. He's also got a bigger frame than a lot of those other Seattle guys. Like, Levine and Crawford are, like, 180 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. Porter's, like, 220, so he's got some more meat on his bones. I think you can move him around the lineup a little bit more. He has been blocking some shots to this point. I want to see, is his game functional, or is it just flashy? But he's someone who, in a draft without a lot of guys who, like, sort of catch your eye, Kevin Porter catches your eye. And he was only, like, number 40 in the recruiting rankings on ESPN. Basically, the story with him is that he got invited to the Nike Hoop Summit as just, like, one of the local guys to come practice against Team USA. He didn't get chosen to be part of Team USA for the Nike Hoop Summit. He just showed up to a scrimmage because they needed guys to go against him. And he ended up being the best player on the court, supposedly, to all the scouts who were there. And Nike Hoop Summit is an event with NBA scouts. So since then, his reputation has started to build. He's looked really good in the early portion of the schedule for USC. Most mocks have him around 10. I put him at 6. Uh, to me, the three Duke wings, Nazir Little from North Carolina and Bol Bol, are probably going to be the first five picks. But of everyone else, Quentin Grimes from Kansas has been horrible. He's averaging six points a game since his very first game against Michigan State when he was great. He had 21 in that game. I was there in the Champions Classic. 
Romeo Langford from Indiana, I still don't have a really good feel on. He can't shoot the ball at all right now from three-point range. He's struggling to hit his foul shots. He's scoring from two-point range, but I don't really see what makes him special. I do like DeAndre Hunter uh, from Virginia, who I think has some low-key upside, even though he is a redshirt sophomore. Uh, But I don't know. I'll take Porter after the top five. Hunter, who Bulls fans are going to want to watch more of, uh, especially if the Bulls start winning some games once marketing comes back. Was Hunter the guy that got hurt last year? Uh, yeah, he was ACC sixth man of the year as a redshirt freshman last year for Virginia. Breaks his hand days before the NCAA tournament, and Virginia ends up losing to UMBC. So <laughs> shows his value, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, so is that it? Those so basically Kevin Por- Kevin Porter is basically what you're saying. Another, another port we spent Bulls fans spent like an entire draft season excited about a guy named Porter. So now I guess they could get excited about another one. How about this? There's also another Murray State point guard in the mix. Oh, Josh good lord. Following <laughs> in the footsteps of Cameron Payne and Isaiah Cannon, John Morant, he's way more talented than either of them. I mean, this kid, how he ended up at Murray State is incredible to me. He's 6'3". He's super athletic. His, like, bursts in short areas is just remarkable. If you go to my mock draft on explanation.com, I embedded the video of him last night against Alabama. Alabama's one of the few high major opponents he's playing uh, in the non-conference portion of the schedule. He put up, he took 29 shots, had 10 turnovers, but he also (laughs) put up 38 points, nine rebounds, five assists. Uh, I thought it was a a good game for him overall. He's just so explosive, man. So ESPN had him 10 in their mock today. I did not know ESPN was dropping a mock. Uh, I also scheduled one the day before for this morning. I had him 13, which I thought was going to be higher than most people. And ESPN one-ups me by putting him at 10. Uh, So I think that that could be a name, too, for Bulls fans to monitor if the Bulls end up with, like, 8 or something, 8 or 9. Because, you know, the point guard mix remains unresolved. And uh, it's not a great point guard class. To me, he might be the best point guard in this class, especially after Darius Garland, the Vanderbilt point guard, five-star freshman, tore his meniscus, will miss the rest of the season uh, for Vanderbilt. You know, I still think he'll be in the mix for the first round. I had uh, I had Garland at, like, number 18 or 19 today. Uh, but, you know, he may end up going higher than that. Meniscus is not a death sentence for a basketball player. That being said, I think that uh, Morant is really going to generate a lot of attention uh, heading into the season, so heading into draft. Uh, I feel like I've seen some buzz for obviously with all the Duke guys for Trey Jones. Like, what is your outlook on him? I don't know. I had him 14, and I'm like, why do I have him 14? I don't <laughs> think he's as good as his brother, so I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's just kind of like, what was that? I was just laughing. I was just laughing. Yeah, I do take a ton of pride in these mock drafts. This mock draft was 3,200 words. Uh, and I feel good about a lot of stuff in it, but I don't feel really good about Trey Jones. But Trey Jones is solid. I mean, I just don't know if he can, you know, match up with the physical freaks you see a point yeah. guard in the NBA. But and it's uh, just, so, I feel like it's almost just hard to like, you got him after those top three, just like by comparison, it's just like, it's almost like it's tough to judge what he's doing. But I yeah, don't know. If you want to compare him to Tyus, he's a little bigger and a little faster. I don't think he's as much of a savant as Tyus. Like, I think Tyus is, like, super smart. Tyus could be a damn good NBA player, I think, in a better situation where he's not buried behind Derrick Rose. Uh, comeback, they don't give comeback player of the year. How about most improved well, player, D. Rose? Is that, that, is that even, like, a possible? Like, he won an MVP. Like, how could you win most MVP and most improved? Like, that'd be that'd be wild. <laughs> like He should, though. <laughs> right? I think I'm he missing. should. His, like, numbers are fucking insane. I was looking at them before the Bulls played the Wolves the other day. Like, his, like, November, his slash lines, like, is, like, 53, like, 55, and, like, 90-something. Like, just his shooting has been outrageous. Then he he played really well against the Bulls. I think he was pretty good the other night. Just, like, where did the shooting come from? That's that's what I want. I guess finally he was able to just not be injured. He was just put in a ton of work on his shot, even though it – Still as flat as all it hell, but still looks in. exactly how it, it looked. Even still when looks it's fucking out. terrible, but it goes yeah. in now all the time. Yeah, weird. Uh, I guess let's wrap up by just look at, taking a quick look ahead. I, we've mentioned 
They have a four-game road trip coming up, and it is all against quality opponents. Uh, Wednesday night, they return to Milwaukee, the scene of where they blew a 22-point lead uh, basically a couple week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago, and they ended up losing by 20. I mean, that's probably a game where they probably lose again. The Bucks are coming off a loss. The Bucks will probably be looking to uh, get back into their winning ways, so you have to assume that they're, the Bulls are going to lose that game. Then Friday, they go to Detroit. The Bulls lost a close one to Detroit earlier this year. Blake Griffin is having a monster season. Have you seen Blake Griffin's numbers this season? No, I haven't. Go go take a look at them right now. They are they will blow your mind in like multiple ways. All right, pulling it up, Blake Griffin. You know, I've always I've always dug Blake Griffin's game. It's been nice to see him reinvent himself. Yeah. So 25 points a game. Uh 10 rebounds, 20 PER, his shooting percentages, 38.5% from three on six like attempts per game. Volume. And he's also averaging like five assists a game. Like yeah. he's been like 25, 10, and five with high volume, really good three-point shooting. Like if he stays, I mean, Blake is always, he's obviously not quite the Blake he used to be. He's had a bunch of injuries, but like he's, when healthy, he's always been really good. And like it's now it's nice to see him just playing really well again and hopefully he stays healthy. So, like, Detroit's – they're also a very tough team. I think they're there's – five like, seed in the East, yeah. right? They're 11 yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, like, that will be another tough game. And, like, on the road, that will probably, again, be another loss. And then the next night, they go to Houston, which is just – which is really – Houston is just a hot fucking mess right now. They're they're 9 and 10. It looked like they had turned the corner after all the mellow – all all the mellow nonsense. Harden has been – Playing better. Harden just put up 54 the other night. Eric Gordon finally broke out, but they still lost to the Wizards. They gave up like 130. I, we mentioned how they don't have like any wing depth. They, Michael Carter-Williams, I think, has one of the worst net ratings. I was looking at this the other day. He's got like he's, – his minutes are low, but I think his net rating is like a minus 25 or something like that. He's just absolutely ter- terrible. They, so they've just been super mediocre. I, but then again, in Houston, on the second night of a back-to-back, I mean, that's another recipe for just another – blowout loss probably so that's i mean three tough games and then they close the road trip on tuesday which people have talked casey mentioned this as possibly lowry's uh comeback game to get india indiana who is again that's another good team they're probably indiana is probably with the four seed right now right yeah i've seen yeah so like another again a playoff team so they're facing basically two four five uh, in the east and then at houston on the second of a back-to-back this has all the makings of an 0-4 road trip. Like maybe I, I'm thinking maybe they get lucky and win some of these games. They've had they've played some of these good better teams close and they've come up short in the end. I'm thinking maybe they get lucky to win one game, but like this is looking at best one and three, and a good chance of 0-4. Which I kind of mentioned this earlier. Like fine, like if they compete and they lose all four of these games and then they get Lowry back on their for their little home stand against the Thunder, like. I feel like I'd be totally fine with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So yeah, if they're five and twenty when they get Lowry back, just think if they're like five and twenty, they get Lowry back. You're fifteen games under five hundred. Your season's basically shot at that point. Maybe if they play like five to ten games under the rest of the year, they probably end up. They're ending up around thirty wins, thirty thirty one wins, and that could probably get them a pretty high pick. I would think they won. They got they had twenty seven wins last year and ended up with a seven with the seventh seed, but as we mentioned before, or the seventh pick, as we mentioned before, like all these teams in the West are playing pretty well. Obviously some teams will, will drop at some point, but like, yeah, like if they, if they end up with 25, 30, 30 ish wins, I think they could probably get them a pretty high pick. And that would, that would be the best case scenario if they can play a little better, but, but still lose a lot and get, and get Zion Williamson. That's just, just bring it for us. It's been 10 years since the NBA rigged the lottery for the Bulls. Come on. <laughs> we come back. We basically we end almost every podcast like with a plea. Rig the damn lottery for the Bulls. Rig it. This is about us. We don't care about anyone else. Fuck <laughs> the Knicks. Definitely don't give them to Cleveland. Don't give them to the Knicks. We need this, Bull. We need yeah. this NBA. Uh, well, so this is how our Bulls podcast ends every week because yeah. – the Bulls are bad. But you know what? We're still watching them. You guys have still been listening to them. Leave us uh, a comment, a review, a rating uh, on on iTunes, on anywhere else you get your podcast. I think we need to start having guests, Jason. What I want to do is think about that. Up- I, I think so as well. Like I was thinking, hopefully, if they start playing better, 
it would be fun to have some more guests on. We can obviously do it even if they do stay terrible, but like I was hoping maybe they'd be a little more competitive, be a little more fun, and it would be good to have some guests on. But we will definitely have guests at some point when we actually do a little more preparation and look ahead to things instead of just instead of just doing it. But right now, we're just kind of having fun with it while the team is awful. Hopefully they do with Lowry coming back. Hopefully they are a little a little more competitive, a little more fun, a little more watchable, and then we can have more fun with you guys instead of just complaining and talking about tanking and Zion and talking about the draft being rigged. Even though we'll still talk about that anyways, but hopefully at least the product is a bit more watchable and we can have a bit more fun doing it. Even though my, anyways. Here's my idea. I want us to set up like a voicemail inbox and then people on Twitter can leave up uh, can leave us like a 45 second voicemails. We'll give you 45 seconds to be as mean about the Bulls as you can possibly be. And then we'll just put them on the podcast. Like we're just talking like, say the most heinous stuff you can think of about this organization. Get it all off your chest. I feel like that would be a nice segment. It could be like talk your shit, our segment. So if you want to be on that segment, tweet at us and maybe that will, uh, that'll spur the idea into existence. Yeah, I kind of like it. I like it. I like the idea of doing doing something creative, just having some fun with it. I'm I'm all for it. anything anything to break the monotony of just talking about losses and and Duke players. I'm in. <laughs> loss, 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 loss. Also, why did they have to go to Duke? This would be so much nicer if they didn't have to go to Duke. I'm, well, I'm like like I love watching them play, but like I also like kind of want to see them lose in the second round so I can laugh at them like because that'd be hilarious. Like one of the most talented teams ever, and then going out in like the second round and. Classic Duke fashion, I guess. <laughs> back in the day, would be hilarious. The Mercer kid Nene when they beat Jabari's team. Yeah, still the greatest. Maybe not a great sign for Jabari's NBA hopes. Now that we think about it in hindsight. <laughs> Anyways, this has been our Duke podcast. Cash considerations uh, for Jason. I'm Ricky. Thanks for listening to us. See ya. Later.